Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. Tonight we want to continue our study on prayer. Who would have thought Lesson 14 would be here? (laughs) But it is. It's a good subject. A lot to learn, a lot to talk about. And I do believe it will spark some things in our hearts and lives and help us pray correctly and the way God wants us to. So let's pray, then we'll continue our study. Father, we thank you for the privilege of studying your word together. And knowing that your word is not just intellectually learned, but spiritually perceived and discerned, we ask your Holy Spirit to give us ears that are anointed to hear, hearts to receive, minds that are open. Change us by what we hear. From glory to glory, conform us to the image of Jesus, that we might be vessels of honor. Hallelujah. Instruments of righteousness, tools in your hand, carrying out the purpose of your will upon this earth, reaching out and holding forth the word of life to this, the generation that you've called us to reach with the life-changing truths of the gospel. And Father, we'll praise you and give you all the glory that you deserve for all that takes place in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Anybody need a copy of the notes, just go ahead and raise your hand. We'll get them to you. But uh, Colossians chapter 1 and verse 3 is going to be our opening text this evening. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 3. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. This is the Apostle Paul writing to a church that he'd never visited, was established by Epaphras. And as a result of him being in prison, he was really asked to help along the way because they were encountering some difficulties within the body of believers. And so we're going to look at the prayer that Paul prayed in a moment for the church at Colossae. This Colossian church was under a lot of uh, stress. They were experiencing many attacks from many different fronts. They had underminers that were coming in to really give them false doctrine. They were quoting and and, and talking about Jesus being a part of the cosmos. They were involved in in all kind of cultic activities, inviting witchcraft and talking about angels and, and demonic beings and powers and principalities and all that of the heavenlies. They were just kind of off. And so uh, Epaphras didn't know really what to do, so he had someone to go get Paul. Paul was in prison and let him know what was going on. And that's why Paul heard some things uh, about what was going on. And what he did was he began to pray. Now imagine that. All this is going on, he's in jail because of his belief system, because of, of the persecution he encountered. And now he's asked to pray for this church. And what he prayed for the church is important to know. Because he prayed things that mattered for the church. The things that really would help the church succeed. Not just for the moment. But as far as uh, he was concerned, it would take them all the way through their lifespan. And continue to work in a powerful way. So, we're going to look at first of all three things that Paul heard about the church. And we find them in Colossians chapter 1 verses 4 and 5. Since we heard of your faith, number one, in Christ Jesus, and of the love, number two, which you have to all the saints, and three, for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof ye heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. Notice those three things that he heard about them. First of all, he heard about their faith in Jesus Christ. You say, what's what's so powerful about that? Put yourself back in that setting, back in that time. To make a break from all other religious traditions and religions and all that. To identify yourself with Christ. You know, you encountered a lot of criticism. A lot of persecution, etc., etc. But they were bold to proclaim that they had faith in Jesus Christ. They heard about his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. And they, of course, accepted him as Lord and Savior. And the church was established by Epaphras. Secondly, their love for one another. Which is proof positive that they were born again. 
Because when a person accepts Christ as Savior and Lord of his or her life, the Bible says the Holy Spirit sheds the love of God abroad within our hearts. It's the true acid test that we've passed from darkness to light because we love the brethren. And so that love was identifying mark for them, that they truly accepted Christ. They were born again, and they had this wonderful love for one another. They were just confused because of all the undermining that was taking place, and the false doctrine, and the false teaching. And then thirdly, they had their hope, their hope of heaven and eternal glory. Do you have that hope? That one day your body is going to be glorified, and you're going to be changed, and you're going to have that glorification, that, that state of glory? And then the hope of living and reigning with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords forever. Amen. Don't you have that blessed hope? Do you have that desire? Or don't you? <laughs> I really don't know what else there is. The other option is not very good. Okay? We should all have this what? This blessed hope. You can't have it now because if, if, you, if it was manifested now you'd be in heaven. You're left behind here in your body only with the hope of the glorification because he leaves you here to proclaim Jesus to other people and bring them into the kingdom. But notice as far as those that have this hope in 1 John, what John said, chapter 3, beginning at verse 1, what he said about the blessed hope that we have. Behold, what manner of love the Father bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. And it does not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. And every man that has this hope in him is motivated to do what? Purify himself even as he is pure. Notice those three powerful forces, faith, hope, and love. Love being the greatest, but they all have their place and a part to play in our, in our lives. We've got faith in Jesus Christ as Lord of our lives and all His work and all that He did for us in redemption. We have this blessed hope that someday we're going to be with Him in glory and changed. You know, when people, people have that hope and people die and they don't know where the loved one is, they have no hope and they sorrow as those without any hope. They'll never see their loving again, they think. You see, but we have a blessed hope. We know what the Bible teaches. And we know that it's true because of the resurrection. But then love, which is the greatest of all, because in heaven we're not going to need any faith or hope because we're already there. But the love of God will reign supreme. All right. So that's what he heard about their faith, their hope, and their love. And now he prays. And there's four things we want to look at. The request that he made. Look, number one. He prayed, first of all, they would have spiritual wisdom and understanding. Look at verse 9 of the same chapter, chapter 1. For this cause we also, since today we heard it, about their faith, hope, and love, do not cease to pray for you, and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Paul knew that people perish for lack of knowledge. He knew that they had to have the right kind of knowledge in order to succeed. And all that they were getting from all these different places was not going to benefit them because it was wrong. And so Paul prayed something like we prayed here tonight. Open our eyes and give us understanding. Enlighten us by your spirit. We can't just learn these truths intellectually. It doesn't work. We have to discern them and understand them spiritually to become a part of our lives. And so he prayed for them that they would have this kind of understanding and that they would know the will of God, the purpose of God, the plan of God for their lives. And we're not talking just about the things we might think that stand out in our lives. Like, for example, well, what job should I take? Or who should I marry? What college should I go to? And different things that really we think about. No, no. He says, I want you to know and have a complete understanding and knowledge of Jesus Christ. To know for certain all that he's done, all that he stands for, and all that you have in him. He goes beyond that, the natural, to the supernatural, to the depth of understanding, so you can understand this from your heart and know how to apply it to your life. That's what his prayer was for them. That they would have this, why? So that they would fulfill his purpose and plan and not their own. They would pursue his hopes and dreams for them and not their own. 
I believe that God wants us to set aside what we want, our will, our plan, our purpose, our ways for His. And make that exchange. I'd rather serve you, live for you, honor you, obey you, do what you want me to do. When I was called to leave my hometown of Youngstown to go to Tulsa, Oklahoma, it was one of the most difficult things I ever had to do in my life. But yet, it was one of the easiest decisions ever to make. Why? Because I knew that I knew that I knew that I knew that God told me to do it. And you know what? I don't regret it for one moment. It was the most difficult thing for me to do in my life, but I do not regret it for one moment at all. I'd rather have His plan, His purpose, and His way. I, you've heard me say it before. I ran a mill crane, and the mill was running six and seven days a week and running, working doubles and all that. And when you did all that, you made a lot of money when you were doing that. You know, it, it almost became something that was uh, almost like an obsession. Get as many turns as you possibly can. Work as hard as you can. Make the money that you can. Doubles and, and, and so on. And just working two or three doubles a week and all that. And just crazy. It almost just, like I said, becomes addictive. There's something beyond the Youngstown Sheet and Tube Company. And running a mill crane. And picking up steel. And God knew about it. And he said to leave it. And that was the best job I ever had. Making the best money I ever made. But he said, I got a better plan for you. Now, did it happen overnight? Absolutely not. It was a decision to make to leave everything that I called security behind and step out into a place where there was nothing but God. I had to believe God for everything. And I'll never, once again, regret it. Difficult? Yes. Regrets? No. It taught me how to believe God and wait on God. And watch God move and work in a powerful way. And there's so many testimonies I can give to you. But there's not time for that. So, number two. He prayed that they would live lives that are worthy, that are pleasing, that are fruitful, that are productive. Lives that would be meaningful lives to the kingdom of God. To the work of God. To the plan of God. That's what he prayed for. Look at the, verse 10, same chapter. That you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Now, God was saying, look, I want you to look into my ways, my plan, my purposes, and my will. How many individuals would say, hey, come over and look at all my business? Most people don't want you to do that. But he says, no, you can come on. This is what I'm all about. I'm going to lay it out for you. You can look it all over. Why? Because I want you to get engaged in it. I want you to work for me. I want you to serve me. I want you to walk in such a manner that you please me and not yourself or other people. I want you to get involved in what I have for you. And how many of you know that the plan he has for all of us is a good plan? Amen. To give us a future and to give us a hope that goes beyond what we understand here and now. Yes, it'll benefit you in this life, but more than anything, it'll be benefit you when you leave this realm and go be with him in glory. All the sacrifices that you make for him, you're just doing what you ought to do. Why? Because he laid down his life for every single one of us. We owe it to him to serve him. We owe it to him to live a life that is pleasing to him, faithful to him, productive, bearing fruit of righteousness in all that we do and everywhere we go. It's only right that we would do such a thing. Why? Because of what he's done for us. So this wisdom that we get, that we achieve, what he talked about, what he prayed about, what it does is it changes your life and changes your lifestyle. Look, Christianity is not about going to church on a Sunday morning and say, I put my time in. It's not about reading a verse of Scripture and just say, I did that, I put my time in. It is about 24-7, every single day of our lives, seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And He said, all the other things, the necessities of life, will be added to you. He can do a whole lot more than we can. He's a whole lot bigger. And He's a whole lot smarter. He's smarter and wiser than I am. What about you? Amen. Okay, number three. The third thing, and I love this part. He prays for them to have spiritual strength. Look at the next verse, verse 11. Strengthen with all might. The word might is dunamide from dunamis. And it, it's a miracle working power of God. According to his glorious power, his miracle working power that will manifest itself in what? Patience, long suffering with joyfulness. This is, the how, this is how God wants us to live our lives. To be patient, long suffering, and joyful. 
Why is he praying for this for these people? Because he knows that they're not in a, sh- in, in a sprint. It's a long distant race. Serving God all your life is a long distant race. We're going to live every day of our lives for the rest of our lives. A lot of people that walk away from the things of God, this didn't happen immediately, that didn't happen immediately, and they get tired, and they walk away. I've had it with this, I've had it with that. Let me tell you something right now. When you enter into this covenant relationship with the living God that you serve, it is a lifetime proposition. No matter what, no matter where, no matter how, I'm staying with God for the rest of my days upon this earth. I know there is a reward for me on the other side in glory. And no matter what I have to encounter as I live my life upon this earth, guess what? He will provide the strength necessary for me to achieve the goals that He has established and set for my life. And Paul was praying that. Why? Because he knew they would need it. To stand against the trials and the temptations they would encounter in life. To perform the duties that he had provided for them. Whatever it is. Is it pastoring a church? Is it serving in a secular uh, area of work? Whatever it might be. You can't control some things that happen to you. You go to work someday and you've got people that just don't like you. As wonderful as you are. As wonderful as you are. Some people won't like you. Right? They'll talk about you. There are certain things you and I cannot control, right? And so what we have to do is to be strengthened by the power of God to see that we can stand up under the persecution and not cave in, not lose heart, not faint and give up like so many people do. But you know what? Stand there and take it. Now notice when he talks about miracle working power. When we think of miracle working power, sometimes we think about deliverance and healing and miracles and that that sort of thing. But he's talking here about dunamis that's manifesting itself in patience, endurance, in power to equip us to stand against temptations, trials, circumstances, attitudes that exist out there in people's lives about us, etc., etc., etc. That is what he's saying is necessary for you to achieve your goals. Because Why? Because the storms of life come to all of us. Nobody's exempt. We'll all encounter difficulties as we live our lives. Now, how many of you know that the 21st century church or people have no idea about endurance and and, and patience? That's just not a strong point that we have in the 21st century. Because we've got instant everything. One time I sat in line at the hot dog shop for 22 minutes that was the slowest fast food I ever got (laughs) did you ever have that happen to you oh it gets better and once I got through and got some stuff I got a call that says and don't forget to get this also I went back in line for another 22 minutes I was patient I endured long I was even kind. My blood was boiling on the inside, but I was very kind on the outside. Mm-hmm. And did it with a smile on my face. But we're so used to fast food, microwave society that we live in. In the 21st century, we can't relate to, to that. Endurance, patience, long-suffering, forbearance. Realizing it doesn't happen instantly all the time with God but he will empower us and they that wait upon the Lord shall what renew their strength they will mount up with wings as eagles they will run and not weary and walk and not faint as you come together tonight like this as we wait upon the Lord in worship and praise and we study the word of God there's an exchange that's taking place a divine exchange as we intermingle with the living God this divine exchange is taking place would you rather forfeit your 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 strength for his would you give it up gladly for his or would you rather say, I'll just have to keep my own? Would you want his wisdom or yours? His mind or yours? Well, let the mind of Christ be in you as it was in him, this mind. See, we can exchange this strength, starting to think the way he wants us to think, to believe the way he wants us to believe. Amen. It's a long distance race. We need patience. We need uh, uh, spiritual strength and ability that rises up inside of us, that helps us, equips us to follow through on something. You know many people have walked away from churches because they didn't look to God for the strength that they needed? Because they were dealing with individuals within a church. How many of you know that not every church is like Christian assembly? 
Hmm? How many of you know that? Right? I'm telling you, when I first, I, I don't want to meddle too much, but when I first, first came and went to one of our conventions, and these two preachers almost got into a fist fight, I thought, well, what am I doing here? <laughs> if this is those that have been in the ministry for 30 years, if this is how they act, and I'm just brand new, just brand new in the ministry, why have you brought me here? But you see, we've got to be patient and let things unfold. And they, and they did. God put it together. Number four, he wants them to develop an attitude of gratitude or to be thankful, to be thankful uh, in their lives. Now, lo- notice in the book of Colossians, chapter 1, verse 12. This is the first part of verse 12. Giving thanks unto the Father, which has made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in life. But giving thanks to the Father. So he wants us to be strengthened. He wants them to live a life that's worthy of the Lord, unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work. He wants them to increase in the knowledge of God. He wants them to be strengthened with this miracle power that will assist them and enable them to stand against the opposing forces that are going to rise up against them. Whether it's in the church or in the workplace or in your life, in your family or whatever. Okay? But now he says, and also be a person who always gives thanks. Give thanks to the Lord. Be grateful. Be thankful. You know that God's will is that we be thankful and give thanks in all things. Look at 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 18. Be thankful in all things. Not for all things, but in all things. In everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Be thankful. In everything give thanks. You're not thanking Him for the situation. You're thanking Him in the situation. So whatever your situation might be, I want to thank you that you're bigger than this situation. I want to thank you that you're wiser than what I'm facing right now. I want to thank you that your power transcends the powers that are coming against me. And I want to thank you for making a way of escape where seemingly in my mind there is no way, but you are big enough. You're more powerful than the situation. So I'm thanking you, Father. I'm thanking you. I'm praising you. I'm blessing you. And when I got down at school in Rainbow Bible Training Center and I was living in this apartment in complex and, and I was making minimum wage on a part-time basis and I had a family to support and it, it wasn't enough to cover even the rent, I just thanked him and thanked him for being the provider of all of my needs according unto his riches in glory but Christ Jesus. And I thanked him and I thanked him and I thanked him and I thanked him and I thanked him. I thanked him tons before I left to go down there. I thanked him even more when I was there. God wants us to be thankful. But did you know he is really not too keen on the murmurer and the complainer? Look at Numbers chapter 14. He's not keen. I'm telling you, when it comes to murmurers and complainers. Now, I know a Christian assembly, we don't have any. We don't have any murmurers. We don't have any complainers. You signed a little paper before. <laughs> right? No one complains and no one murmurs. And the Lord spake unto Moses and unto Aaron, saying, How long shall I bear with this evil congregation? Hmm. Which murmur against me. They were murmuring against Moses and and Aaron. But he said, no, no, no. They're murmuring against me. I have heard the murmurings of the children of Israel, which they murmur against me, say unto them, as truly as I live. Does God live? Sayeth the Lord. Does God speak? As you have spoken in mine ears. Does God hear? So will I do to you. So will I do to you. You know what they kept saying? We're going to die in the wilderness. We're going to die in the wilderness. Why'd you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? Our children are going to die in the wilderness. We're all going to die in the wilderness. Oh, would to God we go back to Egypt and eat whatever he had back there? Oh, my goodness, would you bring us out here for? We're going to die. We're going to die. We're going to die. We're going to die. Guess what happened to them? They died in the wilderness and never made it to the promised land. Because they murmured and complained. And they murmured and complained about what they were going through. Look, life's not a bed of roses. We're all going to be challenged, every single one of us. We're going to face difficulties, are we not? No one ever said we wouldn't. Jesus said we would face tribulations, trials and temptations and all that. But he said, look, you've got to do that with joy in your heart. You've got to do that knowing that the God you serve is bigger than the circumstance that you're facing. 
Look in the book of James in chapter 1, beginning at verse 2. When things come against us in this life, and they come against all of us, we got to make a decision. We're going to murmur and complain? Or are we going to say, greater is he that's in me than he that's in this world? My brethren, have a pity party when you fall into diverse temptations. Oh. My brethren, complain all that you can and murmur against God when you fall into diverse... No. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. And the word count is an army, a military word that means command joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Why does he say to command joy? Because you don't feel like being joyful. It doesn't feel good to be under attack. It doesn't feel good to have people talk about you. It doesn't feel good to go through difficult situations. It doesn't feel good for this to happen, for that to happen, whatever. You know, we all get our feel-bads hurt, don't we? Sure we do. But he says, count it all joy. Command joy in this situation because your flesh doesn't want to do it. Your feelings don't want to do it. Your emotions don't want to do it. So he says, count it all joy. Command joy. Knowing this, look at those two important words. Knowing what? That the trying of your faith develops patience in you and let patience have a perfect work that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. In other words, it's a time of development in our lives. We can learn to grow and develop our faith in God when we encounter trials and tribulations and difficult situations. How? By saying, glory to God, I view it as an opportunity, not an impossibility. Amen? I view it as an opportunity to show that the God I serve is bigger than the problem. If I never had a problem to face, I would never know how to get God to be bigger than my problem. When they faced the Red Sea, it was a big problem. Actually, they had a few. The Red Sea's in front of them, the mountains on the side of them, and then behind them they got the Egyptians who wanted to take their lives, right? And there they were, right there at the edge of the Red Sea, nowhere to go. No time to build a plane, no time to build a bridge, no time to build a, or construct a boat, right? And so there they are. And what did they do? They complained to Moses. What did Moses do? He called upon God. What did God do? You've got the rod, use it. Think about that. They're calling God to do something. He said, no, you've got the rod, you use it. The rod stands for the word. You've got the word, use it. Stretch that rod. Speak that word. Amen. Speak that word over that situation and watch the waters part. Watch the ground dry up. And just go ahead and go across and be victorious on the other side in the promised land. Okay, look at verse 12. So we know this, that when we're tried, the enemy tries to use it against us, but guess what? We can use it for us. And that's how you can have joy. Blessed is the man that does what? Endures temptation. Notice this power, this dunamis he's praying for them to have, helps them endure the temptation. For when he's trying to receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to them that love him. So in other words, yes, when, when, I, when we find ourselves in difficult situations, when you know what's happening, you can say, oh, glory to God, what another opportunity. Well, you should be sad and your countenance falling and murmuring and complaining. Why is this happening to me? Why is this happening to me? And the devil says, yes, that's exactly right. Keep on, keep on doing it. Keep on doing it. But you see, when that happens and you feel like, why is this happening to me? Stop there and just say, what another opportunity. Glory be to God. Hallelujah. I count it all joy. I count it all joy. The devil look at you like, you're not supposed to do that. I had this planned out so that you would cry and complain and call your friends and have a pity party and everybody come over and talk about how bad it is for you, the victim and all that. See, he says, no. No, no. Just recognize what's happening. The enemy's coming against you. He's bringing circumstances against you. He wants to destroy your life, destroy your work, destroy your family, destroy your ministry. But praise God, when you start saying, Hallelujah, glory be to God, my God is bigger than the problem that I face in this life. And I count it all joy. My faith is growing. My patience is developing. And I'm perfect in every way. You got the devil confused. Because he thinks you shouldn't be acting that way, but you are. And now he's on the run. He can't complete his work. Amen? Now notice these four facts to remember. And these four facts really are, you could say, the foundational basis upon which he based his prayer. 
praying for these things for these individuals. These are the four facts. The fact number one is our inheritance. We have an inheritance. Go on to Colossians chapter 1, once again, chapter tw- uh, verse 12 and the first part, part B. Giving thanks to the Father. The second part, rather, part B. Which has made us meet. The word meet means able. It means to be fit. It means to be qualified. To be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. In other words, we have an inheritance. But having an inheritance on paper is meaningless. If we don't enter into it. If we don't sit down and receive what is ours. It does us no good. It may be there, but it's no good. When the Israelites got to the promised land under Joshua's leadership. Only five of the twelve tribes partook of their inheritance the other seven tribes they were just sitting back kicked back not doing anything to go and get them and Joshua said how long are you going to sit back here and not go get your inheritance you got to go get it go grab a hold of it it belongs to you and the enemy wants to keep us out so it's important that we realize that we're fit but our fitness does not come from ourselves our fitness has nothing to do with our merits There is nothing that we have done in this life that means we merit an inheritance. An inheritance is something that someone gives you that leaves you because it's their will to leave it to you. You realize that? Okay. It was the will of God to provide for us an inheritance in Christ. Something that He desired that we have, that He wanted us to have, and made us fit and qualified to have in Christ. Because Jesus did it for us, we have this inheritance which gives us all these wonderful things to enjoy in this life. We have a right to use the name of Jesus. We have a right to expect a heavenly home. We have a right to have the Holy Ghost indwell us. And we have a right, praise God, to exercise authority over all the powers of darkness. And the list goes on and on. We have redemptive rights. We have family rights. We're heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus. We just have so much. He's given us the keys to the kingdom of Almighty God. And it belongs to every single one of us. And so Paul was praying that these things would manifest. But this is why. Okay. And then, number two. Since Jesus qualified us to experience all these things, it's up to us to recognize that we have been delivered. Our deliverance from the powers of darkness is real. The enemy has no right to run all over us. He has no right to dominate our lives, our families, our businesses, our churches, our homes. He has no right in any any way to exercise dominion over us you realize that and that's why Paul said it's all based on this the devil has no right to interfere with that work that's taking place at the church of Colossae he has no right to do that absolutely not because why because they were delivered they were delivered from the powers of darkness by the blood of Jesus Christ and there's no power on this earth that has power over them now In the book of Philippians, chapter 1, I want you to see this is so important. Satan's work is fueled by fear, intimidation, and deception. And I'm telling you, he'll bring fear your way. He'll cause you to be intimidated by things that he'll do in in our lives. He'll do that. He'll try to deceive us into thinking wrong, believing wrong, and speaking wrong, and all that. But here the Apostle Paul says, we're not to be intimidated. And look at this. Only let your conversation or lifestyle or conduct be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. That whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs. That you stand fast in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. And in nothing, everybody say nothing. Be terrified by your adversaries In other words, don't be intimidated by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. So in other words, when you and I look the enemy in the face and say, I'm not intimidated by you. It's like David standing before Goliath. You realize every other person in the Israeli army was intimidated and fearful And deceived by the enemy, his stature, his abilities, into thinking that they could not defeat him or bring him down. Well, doesn't logic tell you that's true? 
It may be. Logic says he's huge. Logic says he can eat you for lunch. Logic says his spear is bigger than you. Logic says he's got the shield that's so big someone's got to carry it. Logic says he's a warrior from his youth. So logically speaking, there's no possible way that you can overcome the situation. So every person in the army of Israel was fearful, intimidated, and deceived into thinking nothing could be done about the scenario. Well, thank God for a little boy. Thank God for a teenager by the name of David who comes along with the lunch. This time it was, uh, I think it was Kentucky Fried Chicken. See, before we, they had tacos and before they had Pizza Hut, but now they had Kentucky, Kentucky Fried Chicken. And he, he brings them their lunch and he hears this voice. You talk about a megaphone voice crying out, defying the army of the living God. And the ones that were walking with them were so afraid and fearful. He stops and says, what was that? And that guy thought he's going to be afraid too. What did he just say? He dare defy the army of the living God, the God of Israel that I serve as a 15-year-old boy. Are you kidding me? Oh, I'm telling you right now, he's going down. And I'm going to bring him down. I'm sure the fellow was shocked. And he says, well, if you do... You're going to get the money, you're going to get the honey, and pay no taxes for the rest of your life. He said, what? Did a double take on that. You mean to bring him down, I get the money, the honey, and the ta no taxes? This is a piece of cake. He wasn't fearful, he wasn't intimidated, and he wasn't deceived by the situation. As far as he was concerned, he knew his God. And because he knew his God, he could do exploits in the name of the Lord his God. He already proved the power of God in his life with the lion with the bear and now the giant's going to go down and you know the whole story but my point is he was not intimidated at the point of attack and to to the enemy it's a sign of their perdition not afraid of you I know your end I know where you're going I know you're suffering for eternity. You may try to bring something on me while I live my life upon this earth, but I'm telling you something right now, you are not going to intimidate me, make me fearful, or deceive me into thinking that I can't reach the throne of God and bring you down. And so he stood there before the enemy, and he proclaimed his faith, and when he did, you know the rest of the story. Don't be intimidated by your enemy, or by what you're facing, or what you're going through. It's a sign of their perdition. But you, salvation by the hand of Almighty God. Hallelujah. And then thirdly, our transfer. Our transfer. We've been transferred from the powers of darkness into the kingdom of the living God, which is the kingdom of light. Notice uh, that verse again. The next, look at the next part. Who delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son. This is legal talk. You and I were legally under the jurisdiction of the kingdom of darkness. You can look at it this way. We're in the state of Pennsylvania. You cross over to the state of Ohio. In Pennsylvania, you've got certain laws. But they may not be the same in Ohio. There are different laws. So as a result, of course, you abide by the laws of the state of Pennsylvania. You can't live by those rules and laws in Ohio. They differ. Well, when you and I were under the authority of the kingdom of darkness Satan had a right to rule all of our lives he had a right to just take control of our lives and take us down a path that he wanted us to walk on intimidate us with fear and deception and destroy our lives he had a right to why? we're in his jurisdiction but you know what? when you and I said yes to Jesus we stepped out from that state where we were under his jurisdiction and we were transferred into the kingdom of light and love we've passed from Pennsylvania into Ohio and now we live by the new rules we passed from the kingdom of darkness we're now in the kingdom of light and we live by the rules of light not the rules of darkness and praise God we no longer have the Lord enemy we've got the Lord Jesus who reigns over our lives. Can you say amen? 
So in other words, we're legally under this jurisdiction of the kingdom of light. We've passed from one state to another. Look in John's Gospel, chapter 5. You'll love it. Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believes on him that sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from Pennsylvania to Ohio. Passed from death to life. From one state to another state. Do you see that? You pass from one state to another state. And so praise God, we're living by new rules. We have new government. Jesus is now controlling our lives. We've actually passed. And what does that mean? Every person born into the world. Please listen carefully. Because if you're out there and you don't see this, you won't be the soul winner that you should be. You might be sitting next to somebody who's been in church all their lives, like I was for 24 years of my life. I was lost. I sat in church in a pew like you're sitting at the right now. I didn't know I was lost. I did the things I was supposed to do. But you know what? Those things don't save. They don't save. One day, someone says, you must be born again. I thought they were crazy. You're out of your mind. Someone else came along and said, you must be born again. Why is this happening to me? People keep telling me I have to be born again. Go read your Bible and see what it says. I read my Bible. It said you must be born again. Jesus said you must be born again. I went berserk. I said all these years I've been in church. I never heard this. And if Jesus said you must be to enter my kingdom. Then you must be. Who knows more than him. But now I'm at, I have a dilemma. How do I get born again? It took a while. Before it sunk in. Well, you might say, well, why? Being in church isn't good enough? No. Being good isn't good enough? No. Being a nice person isn't good enough? No. Oh, my goodness. But I went through all these rituals in my church. No. Not good enough. No. Because, you see, everybody born into the world has death in their spirit. The spirit separated from God through death. That's a nature. You cannot clean up that nature. You can't be good enough to clean up that nature. Besides, if we could make heaven on our merits by being good enough, then God was criminal to send Jesus to die the most horrific death any being ever suffered on that cross when it became our sin. On that cross, Jesus did for us what no man could do for himself or herself. Which is why that scripture said you pass from death to life. That cannot happen on our own. It took a birth. We were born into life. Out of death. You pass from death to life. And in John 8.12, the life that we have is the light of life. Look at John 8.12. Then spake Jesus again to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. The light of life. Life is what lights the path that we take. Life is what really lights up our conduct, our character, our attitude, our demeanor, the way we live and conduct ourselves. We're no longer living by death. We're living by life. We've got a new life, a new heart. He took out the stony heart and he put in a heart of flesh. Thank God He removed death and put life in us. That's the only way you can be saved. That's called born again. As a child is born into the world, you're born out of death into life. That's the only way it could happen. It took a sacrifice of the Son of God to make it possible. Who had to come, take on our flesh, go to a cross, take our place, take the punishment of our sin, and then suffer for the punishment of our sin, and rise again on the third day, and take our blood to the high court of heaven, and apply it to all the utensils of worship, and cleanse what Adam's sin stained, and then, praise God, make available to all of us redemption by His precious blood. Hallelujah! Thank God for the blood that was shed for our redemption. And when I call upon His name, and I mean it from my heart, not go through all these rituals, but I mean it from my heart. I can't save myself. Religion cannot save me. Good works cannot save me. Giving to the poor can't save me. The only thing that can save me is by accepting the sacrifice of Christ, asking to come in and take death out and put life in. And He did. 
And let me tell you something. When he did, I had a joy unspeakable and full of glory. When he did, I had a love in my heart that just transcends anything you can even understand. The world looked better. The trees looked better. People looked better. I saw people in a different light. Let me tell you something right now. It's so sad when I sit in church services and other places. I go to, we, we go to a lot of funerals and all that. And you're looking around and all these people, you just, you just, you're so sad in your heart. Because they have no clue. What they're hearing is unbelievable. It's unbelievable. I, I can't even imagine it. Do you know that religion sends more people to hell than anything else in the world? People think because they go to church they're okay. I was in church, like I said, for 24 years. I went through all the classes. Did all the thing with the church five times a week. Wasn't saved. I knew I wasn't saved. Maybe accidentally someone can get saved. But I'll tell you what, it's going to take a seeking heart. You've got to be born again. We've got to be born again. To pass from death to life. That's the only way. Jesus said you must. If he said you must be born again... Guess who he's talking to when he said that? Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a ruler in Israel. He is a teacher. A well-respected, highly regarded teacher. He would be like a bishop in a church. This is not some bum on the street. Some drunk or somebody that's a, a rapist or a murderer. He said, hey buddy, you've got to get born again. No, no. This was a priest. This was a bishop. This was someone that was in a high place. A respected teacher. He said, Nicodemus, except you're born again, you will not see the kingdom of God. What did he say? How can I go back into my mother and be born again? He said, Nicodemus, are you a teacher of Israel and you don't understand these principles? He could have pointed out to him, Ezekiel 36, 26. A new heart will I give you. I'll take out the old heart. I put in a brand new heart and I put my spirit within you. A new birth, a new creation, born again. Not skirting around all the issues. Not saying, I know all the particulars. I know all the particulars about Jesus. Only thing I lacked was Jesus in my heart. Because I didn't know how to get him there. And religion doesn't do it. But oh, when I learned and I called upon the name of the Lord Jesus. And he came in. I passed from death to life. And I'm so glad. And then look at our last one. Number four. Our redemption. Our redemption. So we have an inheritance, we have our deliverance, we have a transfer to a new kingdom. And now we have redemption and remission of sin. Look at the next verse, Colossians 1.14, what it says. In whom we have redemption through his blood. Even the forgiveness, the more literal word is remission of sins. You say, why do you say that? Because there's a difference between forgiveness and remission. Under the old covenant, sins could be covered. If I had a, a, a quarter in my hand and I put this hand and I covered it. Would the quarter still be there? Right. It'd, be, it'd still be there, wouldn't it? But if it's remitted, it means it's gone. It's gone. It doesn't exist anymore. We have redemption. Everything that stood between God and us has been removed. The veil's been ripped in two. The holies of holies has been opened. We can all go in. We're invited to go to the highest place of God's presence and enter into that holiest place of all and say, I belong here with you, Father, because I'm no longer under the jurisdiction of Satan's kingdom. I belong to the family of Almighty God. I am washed in the blood. I'm forgiven. My sins are remitted. Hallelujah. I belong here. I'm your son I'm your daughter praise God I'm coming to say hello I love you and I thank you for saving me by your grace thank God Paul is praying for these things knowing that this belongs to everyone this all belongs to them you have an inheritance you've been delivered you have a transfer and you have redemption and so therefore what then you should have wisdom and knowledge and understanding a revelation of who Jesus is and experience all the things that he prayed for. Be strengthened by his power and by his might. To serve God faithfully. To live a life pleasing to him and being fruitful. So, every single one of us should expect every blessing to manifest. In conclusion, Paul prayed for the people. But he prayed for what they needed most. They needed to have a revelation. Understanding. Wisdom. To apply it to their lives. They needed to be strengthened. Because they're going to face difficult times along the way. And Paul prayed for them. 
to endure the persecution, the suffering, all that would come against them. And remember, all these things come against all of us. But he said, do it with joy in your heart, knowing that as you rejoice in the Lord, even if we suffer persecution, that the hand of God will be upon you to assist you, to help you, to lift you, to hold you up and see you through every difficult situation victoriously to the other side. We could say, along with the Apostle Paul, and all these things were more than conquerors of him that loves us. We can say he causes, always causes us to triumph, and in Christ we always have the victory. Can you say always with me? Always. We always have the victory. Let's stand before the Lord. Praise God. So we can have patience. We can have endurance. Amen. And we can finish our course. How? With joy. Joyfully. Hallelujah. Joyfully. Praise God. The joy of the Lord is our strength. So, so are you going through something tonight? Start counting it joy. You wouldn't dare complain now, would you? You wouldn't dare murmur now, would you? You wouldn't God to say, as you're talking in my ears, I'm going to do to you. You wouldn't want to hear that, would you? I can hear someone just say, I'm going to complain if I want to. <laughs> okay. Well, you're entitled to do whatever you want to do. Right? But praise God, if we want God's help, we got to do it God's way. Let's gather around the altar before the Lord. Hi, Pastor Bill here. I want to thank you for joining us today. On behalf of my wife, Krista, and Krista Selby Church, I want you to know that we're here to serve you and your family. Whether you have young children or kids in elementary school, if you're a teenager or a young adult, we have a passion to provide a safe and comfortable environment where you can grow in God and build a solid foundation of His love for you. And with that foundation, we encourage you to take the gospel of Jesus Christ with you wherever you go. It is our heart at Christian Assembly to be an outreach, to be the hand of God toward Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. We want to join as the body of Christ to make one last trumpet call before the final trumpet sound. And through a life of worship, bring in a harvest of people. With whatever gifts God has given you, we want you to be free to share those gifts and talents. Life is most fulfilled when we share God's love with others. And in all that we do, we want to demonstrate the power of the name of Jesus to the world through a ministry of excellence to God first and then also to you. So whatever the situation, wherever you are, whatever you're going through, I want you to know that we love you and God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And that plan begins by making Jesus the Lord and the Savior of your life. And if you've never made that decision yet, I'd like to invite you to pray a simple prayer with me. And if you will, Jesus will become your Savior and your Lord. Just repeat after me this prayer. Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. I now accept you and receive you as my personal Savior and Lord. Heavenly Father, I have called on the name of Jesus. I'm now your child, in Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.